0: This is Defender Radio. Defender Radio is brought to you by Gates Wildlife Control and the Association for the Protection of Fur-Bearing Animals.
1: It's the week of July 21st, 2014, and this is Michael Howie welcoming you to episode 140 of Defender Radio. On the central coast of British Columbia sits the traditional lands of the Heeltsuk First Nations people. In their language, Heeltsuk means to speak and act correctly, and this concept is an important part of their culture. The Cooks Project Society was formed to support Heeltsuk youth, culture and environment, and ensure a vibrant, strong future for the people. As part of this, the Cooks Project Society joined with major academics from across North America to launch a study of the grizzly bears that call the Khoi River home, or at least a popular feeding ground, in the right season. Protecting these bears and their habitat is of vital importance to the Hiltzok First Nations. We were recently joined by William Housty, a director of the Cook's Project Society, who is noted as having an unparalleled knowledge of Hiltzok stories, songs, and ceremonies, as well as a degree in environmental sciences. Can you tell me a bit about um, the uh, the Cooks project with the the Heiltsuk First Nation? What is the the background of this organization?
0: Well, the uh, background—it's uh, the non-profit society it's been established for maybe um, fifteen years. Uh, the background is uh, the three sort of uh, prongs of of the society or youth culture and. And uh, environment. Um, so, where I come in on that is on the environment side, bringing a science aspect uh, to the society. Um, it's uh, largely based out of the community. Um, all the employees of the society are from the community. All the projects are for the community. So, it's really a community initiative uh, that we're all involved in here. That that deals with. Um, targeting the youth and educating them in in uh science, uh and uh, local history, local knowledge, and you know, just uh reestablishing connections from youth to elders and to the land.
1: The Kwai River is in the Heltic First Nations lands in southern British Columbia, is that correct?
0: Yes, we're on the central coast of British Columbia and the Kwai River is on the southern southern portion of our territory.
1: Okay, and something I found interesting, and I think it would make sense to discuss this first, was um, a note in this article through which I found you and the, uh, the study we're going to talk about was that the Heltzik people want to reestablish themselves as the guardians of the river. Uh, can you tell me a bit about what that means?
0: Well, what that's referring to, um, you'll see it and uh, touched on in uh, various places in the paper as well is uh, you know reestablishing you know authority over management in these areas. So for a long time, resources such as salmon and bears have been managed by the provincial and the federal government. Um, although we've been here on the ground living in these areas, uh, know these areas very intimately from spending time in these in these watersheds and estuaries. Our word has never really uh, meant too much when we recommend things to the government in terms of management. So when we when we say that, what we're talking about is us um, having a greater voice and working with uh, not only science, but with our, also our traditional knowledge and dovetailing the, the two uh, views and using that to make sound resource management decisions in our own area, independent from Uh, The government or anybody else, we're sort of uh, starting to work towards being able to manage our own resources uh, according to how we want to do it on the ground here in in our own territory.
1: That's outstanding. And um, excuse me, you'll have to forgive my ignorance and recognize that at times I'm going to play devil's advocate. Um, I guess something that people, and I can say this specifically of Ontario, there are often concerns when First Nations peoples want to reestablish rights. In Southern Ontario, we had a number of blockades and things like mm-hmm. that over some land claims. Right. But it seems to me that um, the Heltzik people, you're, you're really looking at this and saying, we are an intelligent community and we want to take control of our own destinies.
0: Definitely, that's you get the nail right on the head there. I mean, uh, you can only go so far having blockades and things like that. I mean, what we're trying to do is is really do this in a in a elegant, intelligent way, so that we can, you know, we don't uh, consider ourselves better than anybody else. We just want to, we just feel that because we live here and because we have such an intimate relationship with our our land and sea, that uh, you know, we feel that we should have a voice in how it's managed and. If it takes uh, us to go out and, and um, fund our own science and, and collect all of that sort of data and dovetail it with our traditional knowledge, and you know that's what we'll do. If it uh, will give us a greater voice in terms of resource management for our bears and, and the bear habitat and the salmon and any other resource that we have out here.
1: Okay. Well, let's talk about the, the beer, excuse me, the bear habitat and the, uh, and the, the forests and the salmon. This study was initiated approximately three years ago, um, to look at populations and, uh, migration of grizzly bears in the Great Bear Rainforest. So what, what was the goal of launching this? Was it simply just basic data collection?
0: Well, it started out as a simple thing, and it, and it uh, blossomed into what it is now. But uh, to give you a bit of background and history, if you don't mind, um, so through the cuts projects, we have uh, I mentioned we have the youth uh, portion of it in the Quay Watershed. We have the Quay Camp just Camp there, so you know we had 40 or 50 people living in the Quay Watershed for three months of the year during the summer months, and during those three months, we were. Seen bears on a daily basis, we were interacting with the bears we were watching the bears' feed, we were walking their trails, and yet we knew absolutely nothing about them scientifically. We didn't know how many bears were in the were in the watershed we didn't know how many bears were coming and going we didn't know which bears were resident, which ones were from outside, so we initiated the study to find baselines on how many bears are, are we talking about when we're looking at the Quay, water, Quay River uh, watershed? Um, thinking that, you know, we would have 10 or 15 bears that we would see, and sure enough, it turns out that we had, you know, uh, approximately 60 bears using the system at any one time. So, you know, it, was, it, it, it went from us just wanting to know more about the bears in the system to us, looking at the finite relationships between ourselves and bears and the salmon and how we're all connected to one another and how, we know, flourish off each other. Um, If you look at the migration uh, that we speak of in the paper, um, bears coming hundreds of kilometers into the Quay River. Um, And so we still had to force ourselves to ask another question is why are they moving such long distances to be in the Quay? and the answer was right at our nose and it it comes down to the salmon uh the salmon populations have been decimated uh, all throughout the coast but here in in our stretch of of the coast it's uh it's still in, in fairly um uh intact uh most of the areas adjacent to uh, the quay are, uh, have lower densities of salmon, but the quay has always been kind of really steady in terms of salmon production. So these bears were leaving their home areas where the salmon had been depleted and moving into the quay where the salmon was accessible. So that's why we were seeing the influx of bears and explain the movement of the bears over the long distances. So we were able to, you know, really get a lot of uh, of data, not only on the bears themselves, but... Know their habits, and, and we're able to combine that with the traditional knowledge we have about bears, and, and really give a powerful, paint a powerful picture of what the bears mean to these ecosystems.
1: And um, one of the quotes in the the article I read um, w- was stating that um, the protected areas are not enough, um, right? And that bears, because of how wide uh, ranging the bears are, it it demonstrates how vulnerable they are. Can you explain a bit of that, or explore that issue?
0: Well, I mean uh, that, that statement is is very accurate. Um, when you look at uh, the amount of bears that are coming in from outside of the watershed, um, what happens? Uh, the Quay watershed is in full protection. It's in a it's in a conservancy, so nothing can ever happen to, to the land or to the river itself within the Quay River watershed. But the areas surrounding the Kwe Watershed are areas that potentially could be logged. They potentially could have other impacts. So if these protected areas are are kind of restricting bear habitat to one ecosystem, there's no telling what may happen outside of the Conservancy that will have effect, long-term effects on bear populations. So the statement that these protected areas aren't enough to protect these bears is is very accurate in our eyes, because when you look at how far away these bears are coming from, they're coming from areas that um, potentially could have a long-term impact if there's any sort of logging or um, salmon depletion or anything like that. So that's really what the statement's getting at, is that uh, because a lot of the bears are traveling so far now to get their food sources, that we need to uh, protect uh, larger areas for them to to have to cover the range that they have
1: does this play into i I guess there's two questions in that one is uh directly related to the trophy hunting of grizzlies particularly in the great Bear rainforest and the other is something that we've been coming across uh at apfa as we look at a variety of different issues is this whole cross jurisdictional understanding of ecosystems so we'll have a community on one side of a river that's saying we have too many deer um so, you know, we need to hunt them. And then we've got a community on the other side of the river that says, we've got too many coyotes and we need to trap them. And they're not seeing the correlation right. between the two two ecosystems. Mm-hmm. Does it kind of play into that mentality that we need to start looking at a larger picture
0: of conservation? Definitely. Um, I mean, it's, you know, when we talk about bear, you can't talk about bears and bear, bear populations and bear habitat without talking about salmon that we're talking about uh, old-growth forest. I mean, if you don't have old-growth forest, you know, the, that's where the bears thrive. So, I mean, we need to be looking at a, a more of a regional scale in terms of protection, um, not just, I mean, it's really good to look at, to hone in on individual ecosystems and study those. But, you know, what we're finding is exactly what we're talking about is that the larger protection is, is needed to, to make sure that uh, the bears are, are protected. And it's not even just the bears. It's that whole intricate life cycle that the bears are a part of. And if you remove one of those things, like, for example, the salmon or the bear from that uh, from that circle, you know, it starts to collapse and it there falls like dominoes. So, I mean, that's exactly it. We need to be looking at more regional, uh, regional areas to protect rather than just little pockets of land here and there, which are good. But, I mean, we really need to consider what's happening outside of these protected areas because that influences what happens in the protected area at some point.
1: We'll be right back after these words from our sponsors. You're listening to
0: Defender Radio.
1: First, they tear a hole in your roof. Then they get in, destroying your insulation, chewing your electrical wiring. Raccoons and squirrels are eating away at your biggest investment, your home. I am Brad Gates of Gates Wildlife Control. Don't wait any longer. Call Gates Wildlife Control. We'll humanely get them out and keep them out. We will come to your house and provide you with a no-obligation free estimate. Please visit us at GatesWildlifeControl.com or call 416-750-9453.
0: Bearsmart.com is the most comprehensive resource on the web for all things bear. At Bearsmart.com, we work hard to ensure people and bears safely and respectfully coexist. Join us as we give bears a voice at Bearsmart.com. Have you ever heard a coyote sing? Did you know that coyotes are also
1: called North America's song dogs? They communicate through unique howls, yips, and barks. At Coyote Watch Canada, we're committed to fostering peaceful coexistence for communities and their wildlife neighbours by building compassionate wildlife communities, one community at a time. Please visit us at coyotewatchcanada.com for more information and tips about this amazing Keystone species. Every year, dogs, cats, endangered species, and even people are caught in cruel, leg-hold, conibear, and other body-gripping traps across Canada. Who will speak out for these innocent victims of an outdated industry? We will. I'm Leslie Fox, Executive Director of the Association for the Protection of Fur-Bearing Animals. With your support, we can bring an end to the needless and painful deaths of hundreds of thousands of animals. Become a member today at furbearerdefenders.com. to find out how you can give hope for our fur-bearing friends.
0: This is Defender Radio.
1: We're back with more from William Houstie, a director of the Cook's Project Society, to discuss some important studies being spearheaded by the Heltzook First Nations people in British Columbia. How does this... um? this concept and this science that you're, you're developing, which again, we're seeing more and more of around the world. How does it play into the health people's, um, heritage and traditions?
0: Well, I mean, it's, uh, in terms of the protection, I mean, uh, mean, years and years ago when our people lived on the land, we had no choice but to live, you know, as one with, with all of our, all the bears and the animals and the, the resources. So, I mean, uh, I mean, it's, the bear itself is a really powerful image in our culture and, you know, we have the highest respect. It's a, it's a figure of authority. So you know, that was one of the reasons why we stand up so strong for the bear, you know, because it's almost uh, it shows, you know, our authority over the land, so to speak. So in terms of uh, our heritage, you know, it's really important because, uh, you know, a lot of our history, a lot of our stories talk about Uh, you know, the strength of the bear and the connectedness between uh, animals and humans and humans and animals. And so it's all just kind of intertwined and dovetails. And I think it's the the first time anyone's really sort of taken this whole sort of Western science concept and blended it in with traditional knowledge. And when you really get into the meat and potatoes of it all, uh, they really go hand in hand and support one another and allow us to... um, you know, I have a paint a picture of all of this uh, resource management that we haven't really looked at from you know, from a from a certain perspective of having both sides of the, the coin there.
1: I do find that very interesting, and and I would wonder if we go back in time uh, and told uh, the health people that someday this modern European uh, based science, which uh, to be honest took the land in many regards, um, would help support the traditions. Of their people, uh it would just be one of those interesting philosophical discussions to have, I think right yeah, no, but um uh moving forward, w- something I found interesting is that the study used non invasive DNA capturing right, and that's something uh our organization is constantly pushing to see more of, uh, and you use snare barbs and things like that to collect fur samples right Why was it important to use that kind of device rather than? Traditional science methods, which would be tranquilizing or trapping.
0: Well, it was very important to us because, like I said, in our culture, we have the greatest respect for the bears. Um, you know, we treat them as as we treat each other. We're equals. You know, um, and we try to have a, the minimum amount of impact on them. in anything we do, um, I mean, uh, it's it's just the, it was the humane thing to do. You know, treat treat the bears as though we, you know how we treat each other um it's just it goes against all of our um you know all of our traditions and beliefs to hurt any other being um and on the other side of the coin too it's uh you know when you think about uh tranquilizing and and collaring bears and things like that i mean that has a long-term negative impact on on the bears and that's not what we want you know we we just want to—we wanted to be able to study these bears and, and and just have them continue to live the way they've always lived, and not have a, a long-term impact on them. So it really comes down to to respect, and uh, you know, we respect uh, the bears for for what they are, and their importance in our culture, their importance in our environment, and we just wanted to maintain that and keep that consistency.
1: So uh, you've you've got the three years of this uh, survey done. The study is showing the the intricate relationships between salmon and bears and forests and the health of people. What's next? What do you hope to achieve with all of this information?
0: I mean, we've uh, we've continued on uh, the project uh, through 2012. Um, we were kind of waiting to um, get through this portion of of our work. I think next steps for us are to uh, continue to assert our, uh, um, you know, our, our make a big push towards uh, our independence in terms of natural resource management. Um, we've also started, you may have seen mentioned in the in the paper, um, reaching out to other First Nations so that we can work on more of a regional scale in terms of this bigger scale protection. <clears throat> we've started work with um, three other. Uh, First Nations that are uh, right adjacent to us, all doing the same sort of uh, non-invasive study, all looking at the same genetics, looking at the bear movement around this big, larger scale—not at the watershed scale, but at a large regional scale—and taking that project and, and using that to really, um, you know, just just ramp up protection for for grizzly bears and their habitat and, and for the salmon. And to assert some uh, resource management authority on on these lands.
1: And how will all of this play into the ongoing debate uh, of the trophy hunting of uh, grizzly
0: bears? It only strengthens our case. I mean, uh, we're what we've what we've been working on the last couple of years is a campaign to really educate people on the on the bear hunt. Um, you know, we've uh, been told by the government time and time again that our recommendations are basically meaningless because we didn't have sound science at our back. Um, now we have uh, partnerships with academics. We have partnerships with other First Nations. We're coming to the table with a with a bigger voice. Um, we're educating people. This, is, this isn't this is just a, the whole bear hunt thing. It isn't a First Nations thing. It's not a Canadian or BC thing. It's a human thing. Uh, you know, we're long past the days where this should be legal, and uh, having papers like this, we're demonstrating that we are doing our own science and we are collecting our own data and are making informed resource management decisions. Only adds to the to the to the fight against this um, atrocious bear hunt. So, um, I mean, all in all, it it, it uh, strengthens strengthens the case towards uh, having a closure of this bear hunt.
1: Okay, and I'd like to ask you one more question. And this this is a bit more of a uh, philosophical one, I think. Um your the um the Cook's website um describes you as a man of unparalleled knowledge of Hiltzuk stories, songs, and ceremonies and as a great cultural leader. And you also have a bachelor of science degree and are focusing heavily on conservation science, right? To me, and again, please forgive my ignorance of, um, of your people and your, your traditional ways. Uh, I, I am an unfortunate city boy from Ontario. Um, how, how does the community accept the combination of those two things? As a man who comes from one hand steeped in tradition and, and stories and songs and ceremonies and then taking the, the hard opposite of science and
0: trying to bring them together? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it's been interesting, but overall, um, it's been well accepted by by the people. Um, it's a perspective that we've never really um, explored before. We've always been really uh, strengthened by our own roots and our own values, and have never. we've sort of flirted sometimes with combining the two, and, but we've never ever been able to kind of break through and actually do it. So, you know, it's been, I think our people here really realize that um, it takes, it's going to take a lot more than just our traditional knowledge to make sure that uh, resources are protected around here, that we really need to include this whole Western science, so to speak. Um, so that we can, you know, speak the same language as um, government and industry, and so that we can show that, you know, we're, you we know, that we haven't just come, we're not just coming to the table with our traditional knowledge, but we're actually, you know, playing the same game as academics and government institutions, academic institutions, and that we can, by us intertwining the two, can be a really powerful tool. So. I mean, overall, it's been really, really well embraced, and we've actually been trying to apply this um, on different levels uh, for different resources and having some great success in doing it. So we're hoping that it continues because I think it's a really great thing that we've been able to accomplish by intertwining these two two different views.
1: I would absolutely agree. It's, it's quite remarkable, and... Um... Uh, I can only imagine that the results will be beneficial, not just for your community, but for our our country as a whole. Um, And uh, I I have a great deal of respect for what you're able to do there. Um, And it's also uh, worthy to note that the scientific partners uh, you've brought on board, it's not a grad student from UBC. Um, You have the American Museum of Natural History Center for Biodiversity and Conservation, um, as one of your partners, what was it like developing that relationship?
0: I mean, that was <clears throat> you know the seeds for that were planted many many years ago, and we uh, we kept contacts within their organization. Um, we developed new contacts with the Nature Conservancy in the United States. Um, you know, it was uh, it was intimidating to be to be a, you know from a small little town in coastal British Columbia and um you know we actually went out and, to to New York and uh, you know and kind of reaffirmed our relationship out in their museum there so I think the museum was probably about as big as the town I live in So it was, <laughs> at, at times it was uh, a bit intimidating but to to see that one of the things that was really reassuring was to to know that it wasn't just uh, First Nations people that are working towards a sort of conservation goals, that there's other groups, other people out there that think think along the same sort of lines and that uh with a bit of convincing that we can intertwine these two different views that, you know, we can really make a push to do something positive here. And, you know, I think we've been able to accomplish that. I would absolutely
1: agree. And I have to say on behalf of myself, uh, the Association for the Protection of fur bearing Animals, and our our tens of thousands of members and supporters, thank you. Uh, This is a remarkable project that you've put together, and uh, we hope to see more great work coming out of it.
0: Great. Thank you very much for your interest. And uh, thank you as well, and to all your members for the great work that you do as well. That's a a big thing that uh, we appreciate as well.
1: To learn more about William Houstie, the Cook's Project Society, or the Heltsook First Nations, visit qqsprojects.org. That's the show for this week, folks. I'd like to thank William Houstie for sharing his time with us, as well as our title sponsor, Brad Gates of Gates Wildlife Control. Until next time, this is Michael Howie, reminding you to stay informed and stay strong.